next week. Uh, but I want to look at something particular today, which is the whole topic of prayer. So uh, three years ago, I wonder if you can all remember, what were you doing uh, three years ago? Well, three years ago, we were at the height of COVID-19, lockdown, global pandemic. We kind of weren't allowed out of our houses three years ago in April 2020. Uh, there was unprecedented suffering and, and death on our TV screens and everywhere we looked. There was a complete disruption to normal life. And, and no one quite knew what on earth was going on. I mean, no one had lived through a pandemic like this, and, and no one knew what was going on. So many questions were whirring through our heads and our minds. How am I going to get through this? Why is this all happening? What could change the narrative? And for many in the world, people turned to prayer. Did you know that one of the most Googled words in the first few months of the pandemic was prayer? How do I pray? What is prayer? Does prayer work? Everyone was thinking about prayer. And people were in the same circumstances, COVID-19, and some people were, help God. God, would you help me? God, would you come into my situation? I need your help. And other people were, God, you're no help at all. Look at the world. Look at what's going on. You're no help at all. Now, both of those prayers are actually very biblical prayers. Now, the interesting thing is that the church in the West is declining in almost every statistical measure. But recent research, secular research, Gallup research, has showed that people are praying more than ever before. Recent research shows that basically uh, over half of the population of America and England and Europe, Western society, admits to praying at least once a week. Over half of the population say, well, I do pray at some time in some way, shape, or form. Isn't it interesting that there's this intrinsic kind of uh, part of human nature, which is to pray. Urban professionals pray, and, and, and businessmen pray, and, and artists pray, and, and agnostics can pray, and, and everybody under the sun prays. We're all praying. Rabbi Abraham Herschel said, prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. In other words, we, we pray because we, we can't help it. We can't help but pray. Prayer invites us to learn to listen to God before speaking. Prayer invites us to scream our questions at God in an angry tirade. Prayer invites us to vulnerable confession. Prayer invites us to know that we are completely loved. And yet the reality is that most of us as committed Christians, as church-going folk, we actually find very little time in reality for prayer. Prayer is this, this, this really fascinating intersection 
between a, a kind of a Western church that seems out of touch with society and a spiritually conscious world that is thirsty for some kind of mystical, spiritual experience. And out in the culture, one of the few aspects of historical and orthodox Christian faith that culture doesn't find threatening is prayer. In fact, many people out in the culture are invited and intrigued by prayer. Let me give you some of my my personal kind of experiences of prayer, personal moments of prayer that mean a lot to me. The first four flats of a Mumbai apartment block, two mattresses, one naked light bulb, and a whirring fan. Moments of intense prayer and meeting with God. Walks in Haydor Forest or local parks, talking and wrestling with God with the mundane things of life as well as the difficult and the painful things of life. On my knees in the various bedrooms that I've inhabited over my life, that my home growing up in Gansil, the university halls of residence where I was in Norwich, 54 Hereford Street in Bethnal Green, 40 Jamanda Way in West Ham, my bedroom kneeling down beside my bed. Or, and this sounds funny, just saying, I used to have a car, okay, which was a Seat Ibiza. Just saying that, Seat Ibiza sounds really tacky and whatever. But anyway, it was a good car, and it did its job. But there were some holy moments in that car, driving around the country, praying and meeting God. The point is, for all of my moments of prayer and experiences with God, they were common places that turned out holy. And you look at scripture and you see time and time again, common places that turn out holy. A burning bush in a familiar field where Moses has walked for 40 years. A sitting room where Esther prayed before she gave her request to the king. An upstairs windowsill where Daniel rested his elbows while defiantly praying. Or a beach where Peter docked his boat, and he had done every day since he was a boy. It only takes a moment to turn an everyday place into holy ground. Now, all of that is a little bit by way of introduction. We're going to look at this whole subject of why pray. Now, there's plenty of scriptures on prayer. We could have chosen a whole plethora of scriptures. No shortage of places to look and to grapple with the subject of prayer. But but prayer probably gets no more concise and straightforward than it does in Paul's letter to the Philippians. At the end of chapter, sorry, the beginning of chapter four, the end of the letter, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and he writes this about prayer. So let's read Philippians chapter four and verses five to seven. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the, under- and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Right here, we have a step-by-step guide, a bit like IKEA instructions, step-by-step of how to pray and then to know God's peace. But the truth is, we don't follow those steps. Most of us, most of the time, don't follow the steps that Paul lays out for us. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray and you will receive peace. But let's be real. Most Christians spend far more hours and time turning over anxious thoughts than we do in prayer. Why don't we do what Scripture says? Why don't we take up God on his exchange? I think the bottom line is we don't buy it. We think it can't be as simple as that, can it? As a pastor, as a leader of a church, over many, many years, I get more questions about how we deal with anxiety, how you deal with worry, how you deal with the complexities of this modern world than I do about prayer. You see, anxiety is like a humming soundtrack beneath modern life. And I'll be real with you, I am more familiar with anxiety and worry than I am with peace, than I am with the supernatural peace that God promises to us. God promises us a peace that transcends all understanding, a peace that doesn't make sense, but a peace that is possible for each one of us. The truth is most of us and most people in the world do not experience what Paul says is an offer to us. We don't experience the anxiety to peace exchange, the one that is promised here in Scripture. So I want to dig into this this morning. Why don't we pray? Why don't we? Cold light of day, look in the mirror. Why don't we pray? Why don't we put Philippians 4, 5 to 7 into practice? Now, of course, there's the obvious practical obstacles. You're busy. You've got a lot to do with your time. You've got places to go. You've got people to see. You want to try and be successful in your life. That all takes time. And of course, you've got one of these in your pocket. You've got the internet. You've got nonstop entertainment. You've got social media. You've got your shopping to do. You've got the news to check out. You've got nonstop kind of, oh, I'm distracted here in my pocket. But even in a busy schedule, All of us find time for the things that matter. We find time to eat. We find time to sleep. We find time to watch our favorite program on Netflix. We find time to exercise. We find time to do what really matters to us. So there's something beneath the surface that we need to dig into that stops us from praying. It's not just the practical complexities of modern life. There's something else going on here. So why don't we pray? Number one, we don't pray for fear of being naive. I want you to think about it for a moment. We live in the city of London. For me, the greatest city in the world. But everything we we interact with in this secular, cramped city of seven to eight million people 
We are told that you, each one of you, have the potential of mastery. In fact, you have to master everything in order to advance. You have to master what is the quickest, most efficient route from your house to the office. What's the quickest way to go? I mean, there's even an app, isn't there, to tell you where to stand on the platform, on the tube, so that you don't have to walk between lines. So you know that the third kind of uh, door on the Jubilee line opens right next to the stairs that take you to the central line. There is an app about that, okay? Because you've got a master and use your time and, and know the most efficient route between home and office. You've got to master how to get a promotion. You want to master how to get on in the world. You've got to master how to eat sushi, which I love, and not look stupid. You see, and if you can't master it, what does the world tell you? What does society tell you? It tells you to just avoid it. If you can't do it, just avoid it. But prayer is, is different. Prayer cannot be mastered. You see, prayer means submission. Prayer means put yourself into a vulnerable position. Prayer means there, there is no control. Your only hope is humility and putting your trust in someone else. To pray is to risk being naive. To pray is to risk believing and potentially being a fool. To pray is to trust someone who might let you down. To pray is to get your hopes up. And you see, we're told, and the world tells us, and society tells us to avoid that. So we avoid prayer. Secondly, we avoid prayer because there's the fear of silence. Prayer runs the risk of silence. Dallas Willard said this, silence is frightening because it strips us as nothing else does, throwing us upon the stark realities of our life. And in that quiet, what if there turns out to be very little to just us and God? What if when we strip away the worship music, when we strip away the church community, when we strip away the sermon or the Christian books we read, when we strip that away, all we're just left with is me and God. You see, prayer runs the risk of silence. We're addicted to noise. We're addicted to noise in this time and in our society. But what if prayer is silence? What if interacting with God is not what I expected? So rather than face the silence, we avoid prayer altogether. The third reason many of us don't pray is because we're fearful of selfish motives. We kind of overanalyze ourselves when it comes to prayer. We're paralyzed with self-evaluation. We think about what we're going to pray for, and then we kind of do a kind of in-body moment. Why do I want to pray for that? What's behind my prayer for that? Is my motive good? Is my motive bad? Give me one example. You're praying for your friend to become a Christian. You would love to see the friend that you have known for years and years and years and years become a Christian. But then you, you, you analyze your motives. 
Is my motive pure? To see them saved so that they may know God, know that they're loved, and know that they're going to heaven for all eternity? Or is it just that I want the comfort that someone else believes the same as me? Or is it, well, I've got the answers to the world, so it would be better if everyone else thought the same as me and had the same answers as me. Or is it some kind of religious guilt that we're carrying around that we've got to tell people about Jesus and and we feel good when someone becomes a Christian? And so it's kind of like a little bit of a hit if they become a Christian. There's all these mixed motives that can be going on. We can overanalyze ourselves. And we get paralyzed by it, and so we fail to pray. Fourth reason why we might not pray. Fear of getting it wrong. We listen to everyone else praying, and we think, oh, wow. Wow, they're they're amazing the way they pray. The way they quote scripture. They're so passionate. They're such a great orator. They have all these words that they use, holy and thou and in Jesus' name. And, well, I'm not going to pray because I've got a master of the lingo. I'm not going to pray because I don't understand all those words. I'm not going to pray because, well, I just would be rubbish at it. I'd be nowhere near as good as they would be at it. So I'll leave it. One day I'll pray, but for now I won't pray. They're just some of the reasons why we may not pray. They're some of the reasons why we may put off prayer. So that's the negative, and there are sure many, many more reasons why we struggle with prayer. But let's get on to the positive. So then why pray? If there's some of the reasons why we don't pray, what about challenging and encouraging us all to pray? Why pray? Number one, pray because you're overwhelmed. All of us, in some way, shape, or form, in this life, right now feel overwhelmed. If we go back a bit in history, historically, we were told, the culture, the world, we were told that the Enlightenment set forth this great myth of human progress. But over time, the assumption of human progress was deflated in the last century. Two world wars and the bloodiest century ever put pay to that assumption of the Enlightenment. Go back all those years to the Enlightenment. Everything's going to get better. Everything's going to get better. Then comes along World War I, World War II, multitudes of millions of people dying, more than all the other centuries put together. Balloon pops. Uh Uh-uh. That's not happening. There's no great human progress. So that myth has been debunked. But today, in a post-Enlightenment era, what we find is people don't trust God, and they don't trust other people. The only person that people trust is yourself. I trust myself to guide myself. I trust myself to make up my morals. I trust myself to make up the direction my life is to go in. Now, Jesus said, didn't he, one time, he said, we are to know a tree by its fruit. So what is the fruit in our culture of the story of self-sufficiency? Well, the fruit is we are all overwhelmed. That's the fruit. Everyone is drowning in 
their thing. We can't see past that all-consuming thing that we are struggling with. So we are overwhelmed in this culture. We are overwhelmed in this time. So what then should be the challenge to each one of us? Well, being overwhelmed should drive us to pray. At its purest and at its rawest, prayer is crying out to God for help. It's crying out to God in times of distress. It's crying out to God when we feel overwhelmed. It's crying out to God when we are at the end of ourselves. Why pray Well, you're overwhelmed? So pray. Your life is struggling. You are struggling to keep all the balls juggling in your life. You are overwhelmed. You are dropping things left, right, and center. You are overwhelmed, so pray. Firstly. Secondly, pray because trust comes before faith. This is really important. The one thing that calms fear isn't faith, it's trust. Faith is the assurance of what is hopeful. Trust is confidence in the character of God. You see, before we can have faith that God answers our prayers, we need to learn to trust the character of God that we are talking to. Trust says this, I don't understand what God is doing right now, but I trust that God is good. I'll say that again. Trust is, I don't understand what God is doing right now in my life, but I trust that God is good. What if the person I pray for doesn't get better? What if I don't get the job that I pray for? What if my daughter is still addicted to that drug that she is on? You see, without trust, we suppress the disappointment that God's silence leaves with us and we protect a wall that protects ourselves and we only pray weak prayers. We only pray prayers that won't be disappointed. But with trust, we can wrestle with God and be honest with God and say, where were you, God? Why didn't you answer my prayer? What were you thinking, God? Look at it like this. Jesus hasn't revealed a God we can perfectly understand, but he has revealed a God that we can perfectly trust. I tell you, that is huge to unpack and delve into. That will transform your understanding of of faith and trust and prayer. Because I can trust a God who even when my suffering doesn't go away, is with me in that suffering. He wears that suffering alongside of me. This is so important. Jesus hasn't revealed a God that we can perfectly understand. Isaiah 53, his ways are not my ways, says the Lord. But he has revealed a God that we can perfectly trust because he's been through the fire because he's been through temptation, because he's suffered and he's died and he's risen again. Why pray? 
Why pray? Because trust comes before faith. Thirdly, we're to pray because complaints are welcome. This is so important. God is not as worried as we are about our mixed motives. Okay, he doesn't actually care about our mixed motives. Let me show you some of the prayers that made the cut in Scripture. In other words, some of the prayers that are in the Bible. Let me just read a couple to you. Psalm 140 and verse 10. This is a prayer in the Bible about your enemies. May burning coals fall on them. May they be thrown into the fire, into miry pits, never to rise. Ah, (laughs) it's a nice prayer to pray for your enemies. Okay, doesn't that contradict what Jesus says? Love your enemies, but there it is. There it is in Scripture. Honest, raw prayer. Let's look at another one. Psalm 69 and verse 3. Lord, I'm worn out calling for help. (laughs) My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. You can hear a desperation in that prayer. I'm worn out. My prayers don't seem to be working. God, where are you? What are you doing? One more, Psalm 142 and verse 2. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. There are many prayers like this throughout Scripture. Prayers of anger, prayers of complaint, prayers of desperation, prayers of depression. And all the ones we've just read were written by David, King David, who wrote most of the Psalms. And David was Israel's most famous king. David was known as a man after God's own heart. And those prayers of raw desperation, stand alongside these prayers. Look at these, just two. Psalm 23, many of you will know this. Another prayer. The Lord's my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Or Psalm 103, verse 2 to 5. Praise the Lord. My soul, and not all his benefits, who forgives all your sin and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Psalms are full of mixed motives. Full of mixed motives. Like I said, some of them go directly against the teachings of Jesus. Why are they in the Bible, you might ask? Because they're honest. They're raw, and they're honest, and they're real. God is looking for relationship with you. That's what he's looking for, not well-prepared speeches. Right, I'm going to pray. Write out my prayer, make it all perfect, make it all neat. The Lord, yes, I am fine. Thank you, Lord. Amen. He's not looking for a beautifully crafted piece of writing. He's looking for relationship. God can handle your prayers. You don't have to clean them up. In fact, God prefers the rough 
drafts. He prefers the rants. He prefers the raging of your heart. C.S. Lewis said it like this. We must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. That's so good. We must lay before God what is in us and not what ought to be in us. So helpful. You see, in prayer, complaints are welcome. You there this morning are struggling. You've got issues with your life. You've got issues with what's going on in your life. Pray. Pray. Go somewhere where no one else can hear you and let God have it. Tell him. Tell him what is on your mind. Tell him what you are frustrated about. Tell him what has hurt you. Tell him what you really, really want to see in the future. Tell him. Complaints are welcome. Fourthly, why pray? Because by praying, you're doing it right. When Jesus was asked by the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray, do you know what he does? He doesn't give a lecture. He prays. That's what he does. Give us this day our daily bread. He prays. Give all your needs to God. Talk to him. Tell God what's on your mind. Tell him like a friend. Listen to him. Laugh with him. Share your heart with him. Unload to him. Be vulnerable to him. You're not trying to prove anything. You're not trying to be holy or or more spiritual than anyone else. Just talk. Just listen. Just spend time with him. As someone said, if you are praying, you're already doing it right. Why pray? Well, just start talking. Just start praying because when you're talking to God, you're doing it right. There's nothing else that you need to know only to open your mouth and speak to him. Okay, I want us to go full circle. Remember Philippians 4, 5 to 7? Let's go back to that scripture because I want to help you as we close to hopefully unlock this in your heart, to unlock the power, the potential, the joy of prayer. When we reference this famous passage, so often we start in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. But the passage does not start here. There's something that precedes it. And what precedes it is a fact. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. So then, do not be anxious about anything. You see, the deep fear that robs us of our power of prayer is the lie that the Lord is not near. We worry when we pray that we are on our own. But it's so important that you believe that God is near. The Lord is near. Someone says something very helpful about our image, our perception of God. Who you believe God to be comes out most in your spiritual life when you pray. 
In other words, how you address God when no one else is listening is really your perception of who God is. So if you start your prayer with, oh, dear God, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to bother you. I know you must be really busy. That tells me something about your perception of God. Dear God, I'm, I'm so sorry I've not spoken to you for such a long time. You must be so annoyed with me that I haven't spoken to you for at least two weeks. I'm really, really sorry. It's telling you, it's telling me something about who I see God to be. Jesus gives us the picture of prayer being in my father's house. In my father's house, in a place of intimacy, in a place where the Lord is near. You see, the key to prayer for so many of us, the key to delighting in prayer, the key to intercession, the key to, 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 to engaging with God on a, on a level that is raw and real and powerful is to understand that the Lord is near, that the Lord loves you. Pete Gregg, founder of 24-7 Prayer, many of you know from the different courses we've done over the last couple of years, said this, the most important discovery you will make is the love the Father has for you. Your power in prayer will flow from the certainty that the one who made you, listen, likes you. He is not scowling at you. He is on your side. He likes you. He enjoys you. He loves spending time with you. He is on your side. If you have that perception, if you have that image when you come to God, it will radically change your prayer life. And listen, it's a discovery. It's a discovery to discover the Father's love. It cannot be taught. It can be taught to an extent, but it has to be discovered. In other words, whatever you've heard today, you need to go and discover on your own. L let me help you with this. You see, you know, many of us know many facts about the moon. The moon is 200,000 miles away. You know, we can see it more at night than we can at day. I, I can know facts about the moon. But Neil Armstrong has discovered the moon. He's been there. In a restaurant, I can take out the menu and I can look at a description of the food. I can even watch the plates of food pass round to the different tables. Oh, that looks good. That looks nice. That looks appetizing. But nothing will happen to satisfy my hunger until I pick up my knife and fork and start to eat the plate of food in front of me. It has to be 